0: Welcome to the podcast. This is episode number 31 and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. I sat down with Marie Claire Bork or MC for short to talk about what life is like as a psychiatrist, how she got there and how many years of school she had to go through, why she likes being an instructor at the U of for med student students and how she became the co-founder and co-owner of Limbus. Limbus is a workout based on movement, emotions and inner strength. We talk about how mental health plays a huge role in peak performers such as athletes and business owners, what the major challenges are that they face and the difference between men and women when it comes to mental health and talking about it. We should talk about how MC took her knowledge and experience from exercise physiology masters to human behavior psychology and experience with her clients and turned it into a group fitness program that is Limbus. She used that experience to create the methodology, which is the important part of the workout and the whole why behind Limbus. MC describes the different pillars that make up Limbus, which are connection, challenge, play, and growth. She talks about what each of those mean and why they come in that order. She explains how the repetitive movement of the workout is very intentional and connects the mind and body to move through emotions that you're going through at the time of the workout. As we talk about in the episode, um, I love Limbus. If you're trying to work through a problem or life predicament, it really gets your body and your mind going and all your emotions come out and you're able to make a clear decision of whatever that is you're struggling with. I know from a personal experience with that, Um, MC shares her advice for what people should do to strengthen their mental health, including the amount of physical activity you should get per week, how gratitude can help, and how mindfulness plays a key part. We talk about superpowers, and she makes me share mine on the spot, uh, which I was impressed with myself that I came up with the two that I did. However, I do need to take some time to figure out exactly what they are. But you can hear the two that I chose in this episode and what hers is as well. She also shares what keeps her motivated to do everything that she does and still get on the mic and inspire people in Limbus. So let's jump into it. I know you'll love this interview, here is MC.
1: Thank you for joining me. Yeah, um, my name is Marie Claire, but my friends call me MC. And what do you what do you want me to introduce myself?
2: What's on? your job title?
1: Oh, my job title. I have a couple, but um, I guess the most professional title is psychiatrist. Um, and I guess I'm the faculty at the University of Calgary Medical School as well. And I'm also founder and president of Limbus. Um, yeah, so those are my various job titles at this point. Yeah, that's what I do professionally. Yeah, that's what those are the things that I'm doing professionally right now.
2: Amazing. We'll get into each of them. Let's start with the psychiatrist side. Yeah. So how did you get into it? Is that what you always wanted to do growing up?
1: Great question. Um no, I actually didn't even know what a psychiatrist really was until I was about halfway through medical school. Um but I knew I wanted to be doctor. I always knew I wanted to be doctor because so I grew up In a really really small village of about 60 people in the southern part of Nova Scotia and there weren't a lot of people that left the village but the people that got to leave the village were the people that were professionals and the only there was only one person and he happened to be my like second uncle something something and he was a doctor and he was you know Smart and so in my brain, okay, smart people are doctors. That's kind of the only That's what I saw what would happen in, in my village and um, I used to be a figure skater and I actually met a doctor an Orthopedic surgeon when I was about 10 years old I was having some knee pain and some back pain and I met him and I wanted to be just like him so that Reinforced okay smart people are doctors and I want to be just like this one doctor therefore I'm going to become a doctor. Like that was like how my little 10 year old brain went. And I knew that I didn't want to always stay in the village. So that would be a good way to like get education. So from the time I was 10 years old, I remember very specifically in my grade eight yearbook, it said like, what do you want to do when you grow up in French? And it essentially, I said, uh, orthopedic surgeon. So I went into med school to be an orth- orthopedic surgeon. Um, to get into med school, you have to do a university degree and you have to be like really you have to get good grades, and you have to volunteer, and you have to do this and that, and essentially, like your your CV or your resume just has to be super impressive because everybody else is is very impressive. So I went to medical school um, after I did university. I did a bachelor's of science in kinesiology, master's of science in biomechanics, and then I went to medical school. And then halfway through medical school, I hated 4 a.m. wake up calls. Like I've never liked waking up at four ever and surgeons have to wake up at four or four thirty, or five o'clock on an average day. And I hated that. So I didn't want to do that. So then I started looking for other,
2: <laughs> a great other,
1: for <laughs> other things to do. And I, uh, in medical school, they introduced us, well, we have to do all of the different specialties. We have to know a little bit about everything. and um, psychiatry was just really interesting to me because you got to study the human brain and you got to study behavior and you got to study how neurochemicals influence behaviors and influence perceptions. And it was just really cool. And you didn't have to wake up at 4 30. And I thought to myself, this is like, this is it. So (laughs) (laughs) then, um, with all specialties, I had to do five-year specialty training after medical school. So, yeah, it was a fourteen year. Jeez. I know fourteen years after first fourteen years post secondary, was uh, it was the time span that it took me to be a psychiatrist. But no, I didn't always want to be a psychiatrist. I always wanted to be a doctor. No, that's a lie. Even I wanted to be an Olympic athlete, and if that didn't work out, I wanted to be a doctor. The Olympics didn't work out, so I became a doctor.
2: Yeah, <laughs> great
0: options. Yeah,
1: ways. I think so. Um,
2: and so you also own your own practice. What's it, What was that transition like? Because I'm assuming you worked at a clinic or a hospital or something and then opened your own.
1: Yeah, so that's very... It's a good question. And so in those 14 years of education, I got zero hours of business training. All doctors get zero hours of business training. We get really good at, you know, diagnosing and treating and doing all the doctor stuff, but we're really... Like, we don't get any training in that. So after residency you know you you have the certification I had you know a million initials behind my name Um, and I didn't even know the difference between like I didn't know how to incorporate I didn't know how to do any of that I didn't know the difference between accounting and bookkeeping like these were just all things that I didn't even know I didn't know so um, I got recruited to a couple schools a couple universities because Doctors get the chance to either be academic, meaning working at a university, or working working privately. One isn't better than the other, it's just different. And I did have a couple people recruit me, um, and one of those cities was Calgary, or one of those universities was University of Calgary. So I chose University of Calgary, um, at the time I was doing my residency training at Dalhousie University. So I chose University of Calgary, and uh, I became faculty at the medical school there. And um, the Foothills Medical Center is unique in the sense that it's one of the biggest teaching hospitals, meaning we do a lot of teaching for the medical students and the residents that are going through. It's a tertiary care center, meaning that we get a lot of the more um, complicated or severe cases of, of whatever. So I really like, I still work there, I really like working there. I like interacting with super, super, super smart people on a daily basis. They challenge me to look at things differently. I never like being the smartest person in the room and I'm never the smartest person in the room at the Foothills Medical Center. Um, So I still do work there because I love, love, love teaching. And um, one thing that I noticed though about healthcare is that it's very reactive as opposed to preventative. And um, I have a hard time personally just going with that. Uh, And I'm starting to think more about, well, how can we actually prevent a lot of these illnesses that I see? Because in my practice at the Foothills Medical Center, I... You know, we see things. We see depression, anxiety, personality disorders. But sometimes I see people that are just chronically dissatisfied with their lives. That are just in jobs that they hate, relationships that they hate, um, and they've never really been taught how to set boundaries, how to pay attention to their thoughts, how to interpret their emotions that they're experiencing. They've just never been taught the skills because that's not a skill that human beings are taught. They've never been taught to be mindful. They've never. They're just not taught that. So, um, you know, I have, I've conceptualized what, what it would look like, what a preventative mental health program would look like. I'm not there yet, but that's certainly where I want to move towards because there is such a, there's such a burden on our workforce, on our healthcare system when it comes just to treating that very reactive approach. So I've been thinking more about that. I am moving more, not exclusively towards private, but more towards practice with different organizations, such as corporations downtown, because that's a huge target audience that, hey, right now you guys are at work, there are stressors. This is a great place to implement preventative approaches because you and I both know that if we eat three Big Macs a day, we smoke two packages of cigarettes a day, we drink two bottles of wine a day, we don't move uh, ever, we don't exercise ever, we're probably going to eventually have to see a cardiologist. Well, the same thing is true for psychiatry. If we don't have meaningful jobs, if we don't have a sense of purpose, challenge, creativity, if we're in relationships that we don't like, if we constantly feel like we're emotionally unsafe, if we don't know the skills to be in the present moment, then we might have to see a psychiatrist one day. So why don't we actually start implementing that prevention, implementing that education and skills-based approach to preventing mental health concerns and creating mental health and wellness. So yeah, I'd like to do more of that with corporations. I'm also working a little bit more with, um, sports organizations cause they're really interested in peak performance. And of course that peak performance is something that I've always been interested in because of my background in my background in sports, my background as an athlete, uh, prior to ever being a doctor.
2: Wow. Yeah. That's super cool. No, I think that's, I like where you're going with it. I feel like a lot of people now, because of all like the self-care, even though we're putting it on social media, which is a whole other conversation in itself about how that's affecting our mental health, but people need more education about really what that means and like the steps to take to actually heal yourself rather than posting a photo about taking a bath or something.
1: hmm You
2: know? Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So you just talked about peak performance uh, with athletes, but also if you are in the corporate world, because that's the same thing. You need to be at your... At your peak, um, so what are the biggest challenges in terms of mental challenges that you see from these types of people? What do they have to overcome?
1: I think, I think a lot of it is mindset. And when I say mindset, I mean um, thinking that even conceptualizing what mental fitness is or peak performance is. Oh, I don't even have to look at that because that means – weakness or that means that there's some type of deficit so this conceptualization of if I even look at mental fitness mental wellness then it means that I'm weak so I think that is the biggest challenge to get organizations to look at that but I think when I go into these organizations if the leadership expresses an interest and expresses a strong um Emphasis or, or expresses a strong emphasis on peak performance, mental wellness, mental fitness, then the people below the leaders will follow. Because typically the people, what I see at least in organizations are um, the employees or or whoever I'm working with, they're hungry for this knowledge. Like they are very hungry for this knowledge. They recognize that when they're not at peak performance, they aren't present, they're not working at their best potential they're not you know if i'm working with athletes they're not playing at their best potential they're not present they're not aware mistakes are made um they can be tiny mistakes but costly mistakes even for big organizations you know when organizations are trading or or moving product like oil and gas if they're moving product and people are not paying attention that can mean millions of dollars um so i would say just just transferring the mindset from If I choose to pay attention to my mental fitness, mental wellness, that means that I'm weak as opposed to I'm really interested in performing at my best, therefore I'm not only going to focus on my physical wellness, but my mental wellness and mental fitness because that is as important as my physical health and wellness.
2: Do you find that working with men, it's a little bit different and harder to convince them of making that switch? Just thinking about like athletes or yep. CEOs or something that in on the men's side who don't want to think about like their feelings or their, their mindset or do any of that?
1: So what I find is that it's not that men don't want to look at it, It's that they've been socialized to thinking that as men, they need to be tough. They need to be a certain way. Um, they have a lot of pressure on them. From society or from whoever to be strong, to be fixers, and they've internalized that story into thinking that okay if I'm looking at my emotions or my mental fitness then that means that I'm therefore weak and not manly enough. Um, that's more prevalent in older populations but that still exists and there's always the fear of what if another man finds out then I'm not going to be perceived as as manly, which is false because I work with so many of these men and quite frankly, their struggles are very similar, but their struggles are, I don't want anybody else to know because I don't want to be that person, but they're all struggling with the same <laughs> stuff. Women are more open to okay let's start looking at this like let's because this is important
2: right and I feel like women we also talk to each other about it yeah let's all go for drinks and just talk about all of our struggles as opposed to men where they're like talk about sports or whatever they're talking about yeah so we know at least that other people are struggling with the same type of things
1: yeah I think I think it's moving more towards that for younger men but I have to say that women are more progressive when it comes to that women are more open to say hey not everything is perfect right now and that's okay and you're not going to abandon me or kick me out of your social circle for not being perfect or okay right now right. that's that's what i that's what i find yeah. No, yeah that's
2: awesome um and obviously you talked about both physical and mental um fitness and so how do those overlap what's the ideal situation
1: in someone's life to make those overlap? So what we, yeah. So sorry, my dog is just coming into the room. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so essentially, when I look at mental and physical fitness, I actually see them as parallel. So for instance, if you know what an ACL is, it's like a, a ligament yeah that holds our tibia to our femur, and it stabilizes the knee. So if you injure that, you know your knee is going to be unstable, you might have to get surgery. So you are it's like a physical illness, okay? So you're not physically fit, but that's a physical illness. And then that needs a little bit of repair processes. So you won't be going down the ski hill at Mach 10, you'll be going to physiotherapy. You just had surgery, um, and then you move to. There's no physical illness, but there's still no physical health. So moving from physical illness, where you have an ACL tear, physical you're not physically ill, but you're not physically well. Where you're going, undergoing physiotherapy, you're you're strengthening, et cetera. Then you might move to physical health, where the ACL has pretty much um, fused, the ligament is intact but the surrounding musculature might be a little weak, it might not be ready to turn on when you need it to turn on, and then you're doing a little bit more physical therapy, and then you move to physical fitness, where you're you're not even thinking about that ACL tear, you're just bombing down that ski hill at Mach 10, going left, right, left, right, and you're not even thinking about your ACL. The same thing happens with the spectrum of mental health. So you can be mentally ill, psychiatrically ill, for an episode. So for instance, if somebody have has depression, um, again, episodic depression, not sustained depression. Depression is episodic in nature. Um, feeling low, no energy, difficulty concentrating, might have thoughts of suicide, increase or decrease appetite, difficulty with sleep. You have those like biologic shifts. Then moving to there's no mental illness, so maybe that mental illness has been treated, you've been, you've gone through therapy or there's been antidepressants on board, but you're still not healthy. So you're still at a point where you're not enjoying life, there's no purpose, there's no challenge, there's not that joy. Mental health would be more, okay, I have a sense of purpose, creativity, challenge, etc. And then that sense of mental fitness where, oh, I can interact with my thoughts in a purposeful way, I can look at them objectively, I can take my feelings as feedback, process those, and move forward in a mindful way that's in keeping with my values. So I draw the the parallel between the physical and the mental fitness and mental health in those ways. The way we integrate them, I mean, this is why I created Limbus is to integrate those two different variables because we always talk about this mind-body connection, but I actually think it's a mind-body integrate. Like it's the, it's the same thing. It's the same package. It's the same brain. Um, and moving towards mental fitness and physical fitness, uh, using the Limbus methodology is what, I mean, that's why I created the Limbus methodology with, my partner. This is why we created it.
2: Right. And that's a great segue into the next question. <laughs> uh which was where Limbus came from. So you obviously were busy with your other jobs. <laughs> um so when did you decide to start Limbus and what were the first steps of that? And that's when it. was it? When did you first start? Like when was the first thought of it?
1: So about that's a really good question. So I was actually working with uh, Darby. She was my CBT resident. So in residency, they have to learn about all the different psychotherapeutic modalities. And I'm one of the preceptors that teaches them these things. Um, so she was my student. And, you know, I'll always kind of just talk to people who will listen to me. And as a student, she was kind of like forced to listen to all of my babbling and forced to listen to all of these different ideas that I had. So um, one of the other therapies that I do is it's, very, it's a very intensive type of therapy and it gets people to look at all of the emotions that they're hiding from, that they're kind of swallowing or avoiding or neglecting. And we, when we get to the root of that emotion, people always want to move physically. There, there's always a movement that wants to happen. Anger is typically like a throwing of the arms or like they feel this heat in their chest. Joy is typically an expression upwards, like a chest up, head up, chin up. And shame is this feeling of thoracic spine curvature um, and kind of shrinking down. So I thought to myself, because I have a background in exercise physiology, it's like Man, I should just bring a treadmill into my office. It would be so much easier to get people to the place where they're okay feeling these emotions because so many people, all every human being is scared to feel the emotions that are uncomfortable. Every single human being, but it becomes easier when they're in this space of physical movement and not worrying or judging their physical movement. So I asked if I could bring treadmills into my office space and they said, no. And I said, oh, frig. (laughs) And so then I just started talking to Darby about, well, what would this look like? Like what would this integration of the mind body look like? And, um, that's when the first kind of thought of Olympus came to be. And that was probably, what are we? January, 2019. That was probably, I want to say November, 2017 okay so about a year ish and a bit a year plus a few months ago Um, and then we just started developing the concept of it and quite frankly taking all of the learning all of my education both from exercise physiology masters to um, human behavior psychology all of the different stories that I've heard from every single human being that I've, I've worked with professionally and personally and combining it into one 50 minute exercise group fitness program um, and the group fitness program is a tool in and of itself but it's actually the methodology behind the actual workout that r- really influences the outcome of the actual workout so the methodology quite frankly, is you know taking a bunch of different training that I've done, all of my education that I've done, and, and distilling it into four different pillars of connection, challenge, play, and growth. So before any change process can happen, you need to be aware of what's actually going on. So connecting to the here and now, connecting to your person, connecting to who you are, um, knowing what's actually going on as opposed to just being like in your head or in the future or in the past, just knowing what's going on right now, being aware, challenging yourself. So challenging those self-limiting beliefs, challenging um, the patterns of behavior that you've always followed, challenging um, yourself to be able to think differently, to, to see differently, to objectively look at circumstances. So intrapersonal, meaning within yourself, or interpersonal, meaning between people looking at those patterns um the play we put in there because as human beings I don't know if you've ever observed this but I I observe everything like I observe people all the time and I observe animals all the time and when I see like when I take my dog that you're petting right now (laughs) when I take her to the dog park and she sees other dogs she doesn't she does she's not scared of the other dog she's not like "Mm, i wonder if that dog's gonna judge me if i go over and sniff its butt no she's just like sniff sniff butt sniff let's go chase some sticks kind of thing so we as adults have somehow learned that it's not okay to play and it's not okay to express ourselves and those are just random rules that we've followed or taken in from society or parents or social circles and quite frankly they're limiting and um, that's kind of why we need alcohol to party because we have such rigid rules about our behaviors that are exhausting so that's why we added that play component so um, every Limbus workout and the method we actually explore what it's like just to be free and create and play and the growth pillar is of course, after any challenge, you can choose to walk away from that challenge. You can choose to never look at it again. You can choose to screw that. That wasn't comfortable. I'm never going to do that again. Or you can choose to, ah, oh, wow. I just challenged myself. How am I going to grow? How am I going to make my comfort zone that much bigger? Cause again, challenge, um, does make your comfort zone bigger whenever you step step outside your comfort zone it's a challenge if you stay there long enough your comfort zone gets that much bigger so that's the method and the way that we combine the, the physical and the emotional the mental piece of of fitness in in limbus
2: wow no it's it's amazing when people have to come to the workout to really be able to put the put all of that together for what it feels like when you are actually doing it as opposed to just listening to it yeah um but I like it, especially because there are so many fitness classes. For one to have an actual meaning behind it is crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like it, it's all of everything that I've ever done and Derby's ever done in in our lives, like all of our education combined into to one thing, and and we use movement to draw out those pieces because again it takes about one and a half minutes of doing something repetitively to stop thinking about it so getting out of our prefrontal cortex is called just part of our brain that's evolutionarily advanced but it's it's also evolutionary advanced therefore it it can perceive threats that aren't there so again perceived threats of judgment of 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 whatever so getting out of that part of our brain and into the feeling part of our brain into the feeling part of our body allowing ourselves to be and to feel. So using the repetitive nature of the movement to just stop thinking and start being and feeling. So that's that's why we do what we do and we do it very intentionally. The reason connection is before challenge is because you have to be aware of what's going on in order to challenge whatever it is you wanna challenge and we draw parallels between the workout and life all of the time the workout is simply a modality to look at life like the entire thing is very i guess meta but we do that on purpose we construct it on purpose right to help people live on purpose like that's our little tagline live on purpose so it's not about the workout itself it's about living and feeling
2: Right. Well, cuz the whole workout's done just as yourself. Like there's no equipment. There's nothing else that's needed. It's just you. It is still hard even though it's just you. <laughs> but yeah. but it is. So it takes away that is like life then where you don't need all the extra. You have everything
1: to do it. that you need mm-hmm. within you. It's it's all parallel. It's all just you have everything within you. Even and even though it's hard, you can do it. And even though there are self-limiting beliefs about whatever it is, you can still choose to interact with those self-limiting beliefs, um, on purpose if you want to. And yeah, it is hard. It's about like five, we always use our, our Apple watches. It's about like 400 to 550 calories. So 450 to 550 calories per 50 minutes. That's not bad.
2: No, it's,
1: there's so many, yeah, so many burpees. So many burpees. burpees. But only one track though. Only one
2: track. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, and what kind of feelings do either you or other people that have taken the classes feel after the class? So you feel different from when you walk in, obviously, till you, when you leave. Mm -hmm. What are the types of things that people feel?
1: Well, I had a girl yesterday. I shouldn't say a girl, a woman. She's not a girl. She's a woman. Um, yesterday I do Limbus for the first time and she's like, oh my God, I had no idea what to expect. But it's just, it's all of the things. And she's like, (laughs) it's just all of the feelings. Like, I had all of them, like... At one point, she was, you know, close to tears, remembering something that had happened. And then at the next point, she was like smiling and overjoyed and just expansive moving. And and we do, you know, we do chest openings on purpose to, to feel that expansion, to feel that joy. And we do movements that actually would, you know, enhance an exploration of what it would feel like to be like, Powerfully angry and I don't mean like angry as in like you're gonna go punch somebody, but just like That anger that you feel when someone's infringing on your boundaries for instance, and we practice what it would feel like to be powerful And so these are the types of feelings that people have expressed feeling I've certainly felt um, So joyous during a workout that I've like been brought to those joyful tears today when I was leading a workout it one song Reminded me because we were doing a fundraiser for the Autism Society just like an hour and a half ago, which is why I just scarfed down my lunch before we <laughs> started talking. But um, it reminded me of my niece who has autism, and I I started thinking about how difficult it would be for her, and how thankful I was that she's received the supports that she's received. So I guess what I would say is it brings out whatever's happening in your life at that moment. So for instance, if your life is full of joy and full of happiness and whatever, it's going to bring that out. If your life is full of heartache, it's going to bring that out and it's purposeful because in order to actually pass through a feeling, you have to sit in it and feel it. They don't just go away, they just, they simmer and they stew and they start festering, especially the bad ones, because we don't actually like to feel them, so we just kind of avoid them and don't feel them and pretend like everything's okay. So so in order to, to get past it, you actually have to feel it. You have to. There's no other way. And so that's what we try to do in the workout. So I would say that it elicits whatever you are feeling at that point in your life.
2: Right. Which is a great if someone is feeling things I remember I went to one of the first classes I was dealing with um, deciding about clients that I had and quitting one of the jobs that I had and I was like, should I do it? Like, can I do this? Is it going to be okay? And if you go and it just, your brain can work through it because you've given it like permission yeah. to work through it and plus you can, like you're still moving. So like you said, you're doing something at the same time so your brain has space to let itself go. Yeah. So it is. So if someone needs to work through a problem, I highly
1: suggest. Going to a limbus class, yeah. If you need to work through a problem because you're human, so you're gonna have problems, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if you just want to feel whatever it is you're feeling, or if you want a good workout, you know, yeah, all true. those reasons. <laughs> um, and
2: what can people do? So, I know people know they should work out, people know they should move yeah. every day. Um, but on the mental health side, is there anything that people can do if they can't go see a psychiatrist or mm-hmm. anything professional? that they can do on a daily basis just to strengthen their mental health. Yeah,
1: Besides go to Olympus class. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't, as a psychiatrist, I can't recommend Olympus workout because that would be a conflict of interest, but I always recommend, (laughs) um, you know, 150 minutes of physical activity, moderate or intense in nature per week. That's like, those are the guidelines for... (laughs) You're going to say per day.
2: No, (laughs) not per day. That's way too much.
1: No, like just per week. Um, So that's a recommendation for mental health. Another one that is evidence-based, so not just one that I made up today, but one that's evidence-based is actually gratitude. And there's a lot of evidence for gratitude. Um, And the reason being is we forget what we have because we tend to focus on what we don't have and we tend to focus on the problems that we have. And we just don't take the time to be grateful. And there's actually a lot of evidence to support either gratitude practice like however you want to do it whether it's a gratitude journal five things that you're grateful for at the end of every day um taking the time during uh morning meditation which i'll talk about in a second but taking the time to feel into whatever you're grateful for there's a lot of evidence to support that and it actually works and it sounds really cheesy and you know the first time that i heard about it i was like oh yeah right but then you start doing it and it actually just kind of feels it good, and it purposefully reminds you of what you do have to feel grateful for. Another thing is actually um, mindfulness, and I used to think mindfulness was a bunch of hippies levitating on a mountaintop, but it's not. All it is is being aware of the present moment in a non-judgmental capacity, so being aware of exactly what's going on non-judgmentally. So people will always say, well, then it might feel bad. Well, it's not good or bad because those are also judgments. It just is what it is, whatever the moment. Rather than being in the future predicting whatever outcome or being in the past fretting about what you did. Just being in the present moment. Because life actually happens in the present moment. And unless you're engaged with the present moment, your life is just kind of passing by and you're not there. So that's being mindful. And you can practice mindfulness with very specific techniques. But that's the end game. The techniques are... Guided mindfulness practice meditation. I practice transcendental meditation myself. Um, and that helps me be mindful during life. You know, I'm mindful when I walk the dog. I'm mindful when I wash the dishes. Not every time, but I'm mindful. I'm mindful when I have conversations with my fiance. It's just nice because you're there as opposed to not there. Right really
2: yeah no yeah. I think and it is like you just have to practice as well yeah. actually having a podcast has helped because I have to focus on what someone's saying so that I know to be able to have just a conversation that flows because it's being recorded yeah it's been a very it's been a struggle
1: <laughs> well it, it's a skill but, but it
2: is, yeah you just have to practice it
1: just like any other skill mm-hmm. practice 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 practice
2: yeah and it helps like you said if you're doing the dishes or something that you normally would never think about but it's not like you need to think about to do the dishes Mm -hmm. you just have to think about that you're doing it
1: yeah and notice and notice the sensations and notice the senses and notice wow that's a beautiful bubble like i bet the last time that you looked at a dish soap (laughs) bubble with curiosity was a very long time ago i And next time you do the dishes notice the bubbles they're freaking beautiful if you actually (laughs) look at them and take the time to look at them
2: it's everyone's homework Or if you're doing the dishes right now while listening, examine (laughs) the bubbles.
1: Examine (laughs) the bubbles. Feel them, smell them, observe them. They
2: have different colors. You don't even think about this. (laughs) Um, So you live a busy life doing all the things. So how do you stay motivated to keep doing them all?
1: Great question. Motivation is um, something. So here's the thing. The things that I'm not motivated to do are probably not the things that I want to be doing and I've been very purposeful in establishing my vision and I'm very purposeful about what steps I want to take to create that vision. I live a values-based life, which means I have established values that every week, month, what are my goals based on my values? My values are freedom, creativity, health, love, and courage. And every single week and month, I take a look at those and okay, What am I going to do? How am I living these values? Um, How are these helping me attain my vision? And if I'm not motivated to do something, it's probably not in line with my values, quite frankly. So if there's anything that isn't motivating you, something that isn't driving you, isn't creating that fire, it's probably not in line with your values. So um, that's what I tend to, to go with. And it's been probably Nope, 100% accurate. Like uh, not even 99.9% but like right. 100% yeah. accurate. What is it that I'm avoiding? Why am I avoiding this? Oh yeah, because like I don't actually care. It's it's maybe like an extrinsic, extrinsic motivating factor. Like for instance, oh this is prestigious or oh this will look good. You'll never be motivated to do that as much as the intrinsic motivating factors. Oh, I need to do this because there's this fire within me that needs to create and this brings me joy and purpose.
2: Right. I love it. And how did you come up with these values? Did you like was it a while ago? Was it like a workshop? Do you come back to them to change them?
1: Yeah, so it's what I it's what I teach in my practice. Um it's based on the it's based on one of the psychotherapeutic modalities and it's what we do in Limbus um the method we, one of our, the, the growth that we do is actually establishing values and what those look like to you and what that means to you. Um, and I did mine, I probably got quite clear on them maybe I would say five, four or five years ago. And, uh, it just helps with every single decision you make in your life. If you're struggling with a decision, you can go back to v- your values. Does this fit? Doesn't it fit? Way easier to make decisions if you have your values. Um, what I what I recommend, what I do in my practice is I have this like card sort. So I have a pile of cards with all kinds of values, and I get people to really quickly look at them. Okay, you have two two values. Which one do you want? Okay, good. And we kind of go down the pile until we have about four or five. Does that fit with you? Does that sit well with you? And it's it can be life transforming because it gets people to oh shit like i value health yet i'm not sleeping i'm eating like crap i haven't gone to see my doctor for 10 years man i need to make some changes and it's called cognitive dissonance so again creating that cognitive dissonance so creating that feeling of like i value this but i'm not living into this value i need to make a change right so um it hasn't been a workshop, but if you do want to do the work, you can come to do Limba's Method Training. and <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and we will do that. We will run you through it. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's just a much easier way to live and a much easier way to make decisions.
2: Right. And then it's like it goes back to what you said about just being aware of yourself. So being aware of the decisions you're making and why you're making them and how you feel and why you hate things or why you're avoiding things. Yeah. Because we all do things all day probably most of the time that we're like, well, I really wouldn't do this, but now I have to kind of thing. And it's like, well, why do you feel that way? And why are you still doing it?
1: And here's the thing, we don't have to do anything. Like you actually don't have to do anything. People will always say, well, I have to do this. No, you can choose not to, but there will be consequences. And those consequences can either be perceived as good or bad. So for instance, if you choose not to pay your bills, you don't have to pay your bills, but <laughs> then your electricity will eventually go off. You don't have to answer emails, but, eventually those emails might pile up but you don't have to you don't have to do the things that you do it's choosing and that can actually be quite empowering it can be eye-opening but it can be quite empowering when you're like oh I have to do this well no you're you are choosing to
2: right
1: everything that you do is a choice everything right food for thought for
2: everybody <laughs> yeah, exactly and um, how do you disconnect from work what do you do for
1: so I'm not, I'm not the best. So this is an area of growth for me right Mm -hmm. now because I am trying to grow two businesses. I am growing two businesses. I'm choosing to grow two businesses. (laughs) Um, what I do for my, my fiance is actually really good at this. And I would have to say that, um, I follow his lead. He's really good at when he's at work, he's at work and when he's not at work, he's not at work and he's fully engaged in his life. And I do rely on him for that. We take vacations, we plan our vacations. Um, and he he calls me on when I'm on my phone, when I should be present and he calls me on that. So holding me accountable to just being present as opposed to being on my phone, et cetera. Yeah, but what I do for fun, I would have to say that a lot of things that I do for fun, like I consider the work that I do, life, like it's fulfilling. It's actually really, really fulfilling work, and I know not everybody has that, and I'm privileged to have that, and I'm lucky to have that. Um, Other things that really bring me joy are hanging out with people that challenge me and I I have fun with, like my girlfriends. Um and uh, I, li- I love traveling yeah and eating traveling and eating and doing all of the workout classes because I find those really fun yeah. so going to spin going to yoga even though not, they're not Olympus they're still like awesome right. and fun and I go to YYC cycle yeah, a lot. yeah. and Yoga Nova oh, yeah. they're my places yeah. Yeah. this <laughs> is why we get along this class is travel food yeah. exactly. sucks me up too <laughs>
2: Um, I saw actually this question on your website, which I thought was interesting. Um, what is your superpower? i um, never asked anybody that before, but now I'm going to include it in all of my interviews. Nice.
1: <laughs> you know, my superpower, my friend, one of my really good friends, probably one of my best friends for a very long time. He's like, you know what your superpower is? It's feeling. He's like, you don't, you, you feel with the power of 10 men. He's like, wait, with the power of 10 women. <laughs> so my superpower is feeling. Like, I feel all of the feelings, and I'm okay with all of them. So I'm going to say my superpower is feeling all of this stuff, all of it, and being okay with all of it. And my capacity because of my job and because I'm semi-good at it is to hold space. Like, I'm okay with whatever comes up. I can handle it. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what is... What's your superpower? Can I ask you that? See, and I, sh- I thought about this before. I was like, I should think about it before in case someone asks me mm. back. I don't know. I, uh... Listening is one of them. hmm That I've had... I'm not a huge talker. Mm-hmm. Unless necessary. But most of the time, I let other people talk. Um, and so I've had a ton of people... Say that to me, and they're like, "Oh, I just want to like, go for coffee. Like, can we just drive somewhere? I just have to like talk things." And so I'll just like sit there and listen, you know. And so that um, seeing the good in people as well. Usually, it's always like before when we we're talking about like the benefit of the doubt of just you know just let people do what they have to do. And so yeah, are those superpowers? Yeah,
1: yeah. anything can be your superpower. Yeah. 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 I'd also say that you're a very good storyteller okay yeah
2: that's true i don't know if it would be a superpower i'm just
1: you're good at it yeah
2: yeah yeah that's what i do in my life yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah superpowers like something that like you're so good at that you don't even need to to think so right that's true that you wouldn't even know that you're Yeah, but the listening and the seeing the good in people. I like that. Those are superpowers. Yeah, frig.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Now I have to go home and think harder about it. (laughs) Um, What did I say on my website? Is that what I said?
1: Yeah,
2: I believe so. Okay, yeah. Um, What is the next for Limbus? What's the next big move?
1: Next big move for Limbus is... so. We had teacher training in Countless BC. They loved it. There are, I think, one person has been accredited and there's a few others that are doing their accreditation pro- process. Um, we've been invited to go to Lululemon Flagship in Toronto, so we'll be popping up there in a couple of weeks, which is super exciting. Um, we're partnering with Barbell. They've been amazing. Christy and Jill are, are awesome and We've been able to partner with them Um, and we're probably going to be doing a few pop-ups across Canada because I think one of the things about Limbus is they don't really, people don't know what to expect and they need to try it. So we're going to be spreading the message by uh, experiencing, like experiential messaging. So people experiencing it and then they get it. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's the, Those are the next things for Limbus. And our teacher training is in March. Our next teacher training is in March. And we're separating this time. We're doing the method training. So the method training is actually for anybody who, anybody can take it. It's a two-day thing. And if you want to up your game for, let's say, your boxing instructor or spin instructor or yoga, and you just want to do the method, meaning the connection challenge, play and growth, you can do that. You never have to teach a Limbus workout. You, you don't even have to do a Limbus workout. Then to be a Limbus certified instructor, you have had to do the, the method training and then you do the teacher training. So we're separating those out in March. In Calgary. In uh, Calgary, yes. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So if anyone's listening who wants to be part of that. Yeah, March.
1: March. Um, and
2: where can people connect with you? Where can they find you?
1: So our website, www.limbusmovement.com. Instagram, Limbus Movement. We've got a great little Instagram person because <laughs> we work with rachel and she's awesome <laughs> and uh info at you know. yeah. yeah thank you so much for sharing all the things and all the feelings thanks so much for having me on your podcast i should have just said that at the very beginning but thank you okay. you're doing a great job thank you <laughs> thank you so much